What's up, everybody? Guys, if there's anything you want to take away from me, is go to the dentist often so in case your wisdom teeth start coming out, they can tell you, like, hey, you need to take care of this before it starts causing you problems, like causing you pain, like the one, the pain I'm going through right now. And I cannot get somebody to help me get this problem over and done with. So... I don't got a cool story for you this week either, sorry. But my only thing is go to get go go to your dentist, get checked on regularly to make sure something that could cause you pain down in your life later could be preventable. And they could help you take care of that before that happens. Alright, deuces guys. Enjoy the fights. Remember to follow me, punch the mouth official on Instagram. Um Official underscore PITM on Twitter. Deuces. What's going on, everybody? Episode number 49. I can't believe we're away, one episode away from episode 50. Do you guys believe that? I can't. I'm so happy. Last week, I uploaded on Friday because I'm going through something with my teeth. Um, hopefully, I'll get that figured out soon, but that won't deteriorate me from uploading um, a podcast weekly. Hopefully not by too much. So, as I get updated on this situation, I will let you guys know what's going on. But let's get into it. We had a lot of MMA this weekend. We had Bellator Hawaii Night 1 and 2. Then we had the UFC Fight Night, which I forgot to talk about last weekend. So, before I forget again, let's talk about it right now. Jessica Andrade beats Amanda Lemus by standing arm triangle. What a crazy fight. Amanda Lemus was doing great. She was doing good. She was staying on the outside, but Jessica Andrade, she's like a pit bull, man. She may be small, but don't count her out. So she beats the number 10 girl. This is her return to strawweight after she had her last, I want to say, three fights at flyweight. I want to say three fights. She returns to straw weight to fight the number 10 girl. She debuted flyweight in October 18, 2020. So she had one. She had three fights at flyweight. I don't know if she's going to stay at straw weight. But she beat Caitlin Chukagian. She lost to Valentina Chevchenko. And then she beat Cynthia Calvillo. And now her last fight against Amanda Lemus. It was a crazy fight, man. She was 
I don't want to say losing in the stand-up, but it was funny because she got, like, rocked, so it forced her to grab her. And then she did an, a standing arm triangle. It was pretty crazy. So what's next for Amanda? I mean, Jessica, sorry. You just beat the number 10 girl. Amanda Heba is going to fight Caitlyn Chukagian. And we we also have to see where Jessica will land, right? Because I do believe she's going to land above Michelle Watterson and Amanda Hebas. So she could fight Nina Antonoff. Or, and people are going to get mad at this, I wouldn't be surprised if I see her fight Yan Shannon or Mackenzie Dern. Because strength-wise, Jessica Andrade, she's stronger than most of these girls. I believe strength-wise, the only one that could probably match her is Yang Wei Li, and that's pushing it, right? Because you would also say Carla Esparza, but, or maybe Marina Rodriguez. But strength-wise, I believe Jessica Andrade beats all these girls. But I would want to see her fight Mackenzie Dern because... Of the jujitsu aspect, like if she'll even entertain going to the ground with Mackenzie, just because how good Mackenzie is with her jujitsu. Because to keep it real, Mackenzie would be outmatched in the stand up, right? Like on a technical level and strength wise, because I can't see Mackenzie Dern knocking out Jessica Andrade. I just can't. There's no disrespect to Mackenzie. I just feel her. Path to victory would be her jiu-jitsu, so that would be interesting. So if I was the matchmaker, I would look at those fights, but again, she just beat the number 10 girl, so 9 through 5 would be a viable option. We also have to see where she lands, because right now it's Sunday, and the new rankings don't come out until Tuesday, so we have to see where she lands. Amanda Lemus just... She was doing good. She was doing great in the fight. She just got caught, and I don't know. I don't know if I could call that inexperience, or she just didn't know what to do, or she probably didn't realize how strong Jessica Andrade was, because that was the first standing arm triangle in UFC history. Also, this is gonna be. Very interesting how this plays out because all these top girls are already mad. They just officially announced Yang Wei Li is going to fight Yana Yongjingjek on June 11th. Carla Esparza is fighting Rose Nama Yunis in a, a couple weeks. I don't. It wouldn't even surprise me if they tried to match Marina Rodriguez with Jessica Andrade depending on how far... How long Jessica wants to be out? Like, do you want to be out X amount of time? Or because it was a relatively fast finish. She relatively, I imagine she has no injuries. Or would they offer Marina Rodriguez that fight? And Marina Rodriguez goes, okay, I'll fight her. I don't care. Like, she's the wild card in all of this. Because I believe she's in a position where she could wait for a title shot. Because she already beat Mackenzie Dern. 
I don't think. I wonder if she fought Yan Shanan. Let me see. I want to say she she did. It was the last. I didn't see the fight. That's why. That's why I couldn't remember. But they fought on the undercard of Masvidal and Colby, and she won by split decision. I'm talking about Marino Rodriguez here. So we'll see what happens. I'm telling you, she's in a position where she could be like. I want to fight for the title because Marina's already beat one, two. She's beat four through six. The only girls above her are Yang Wei Li and Carla Esparza. And like I said, those two girls are already booked. So Marina Rodriguez is in a good spot. Jessica Andrade's name in the... Strawweight division, I was going to say featherweight. It's a good name. We'll see what happens. And she's still, I believe, she's still number one at flyweight. And with Talia Santos fighting Valentina on June 11th, I guess, she sees it as, well, if Valentina wins, I might as well go down the strawweight. I'm thinking for Jessica here. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where she lands. But I wouldn't mind seeing her fight Mackenzie or Rodriguez or Rodriguez. Or even Shainan. Shainan. So, we'll see what happens. Co-main event. Clay Guidafa, Claudio Pules. What a crazy fight, because Clay was like in an arm lock, almost a omoplata, and then the dude switched it so fast to a knee bar that Clay had no choice but to tap. That was a crazy, crazy finish. I'm excited. Like, when guys like this come out, I get excited. So now I'm going to keep my eyes out for his name. And then Macy Barber beats Montana De La Rosa. Macy just keeps ascending. Carles Jordan beats Lando Venata. What a crazy fight. I didn't I had Lando winning, but he ended up tapping. Mark Andre beats Jordan Wright again, another guillotine. So okay, out of the five main card fights, four of them finished by submission. The only decision was um Macy Barber. Crazy fight. Um another dude that Impressed me was Tyson Pedro. He beat Ike Villanueva. That was a crazy finish with the leg kick. Like he kicked out his leg up from under him and just uppercutted him when he was sitting on the cage. That was pretty nuts. Only three fights went to decision, and then the very first fight, Mike Jackson versus Dean Barry. DQ eye gouging. That was pretty bad. Well, first he goes for. I didn't see the first foul because the first foul they didn't stop the fight. They just told him keep it clean. And then the second foul he did like a 360 and ended up kicking Mike in the balls. Or in the private region. I shouldn't say balls. This is Dean Barry. He did this to Mike Jackson. And then people were criticizing Mike because he kept talking while they were stopping the fight. And then moments later he gouges his eye. Dean Barry did. 
Because he got like four fingers and like dug them into his eye. And then Mike was going, I can't see, I can't see. So, I honestly don't think they're going to bring back Mike Jackson. Dean Barry, as long as he could keep it clean. He's got a bright future in the sport, honestly. Uh, this weekend, Rob Fawn returns to fight. Chito Vera, of course. Rob Fawn is coming off of a fight with Jose Aldo. He lost that fight. Marlon Vera is coming off of the KO kick he did to Frankie Edgar Anderson Silva style. Like Anderson did to Vitor. Andre Arlowski is going to fight Jake Calder. Andre Philly is fighting Juan Gerson Brito. Jared Gordon is fighting Grant Dawson. Derek Elkins is fighting Tristan Colleen. Colleen, sorry, Colleen. And Gerald Midshort returns. He's going to fight Jocko. Uh, Marlon Vera. I love this guy. This guy, if he wins this fight, let me see. If he wins this fight, if he wins, this is 135, right? So, Rob Fon is number four. Marlon is number eight. So, if he, if, I mean, Rob Fon is number five. Corey Sanhagen is number four. So, if he beats Rob Fon, he's going to be just under Corey Sanhagen. Jose Aldo, TJ Dillashaw, and Peter Young. So he's going to be an elite company. Again, for Rob Fonis to keep his ranking in the division. And then hopefully in his next fight he can fight up. But we'll see what happens because Marlon Vera has been on a tear. I can't wait for this fight. He could potentially hop over Dominic Cruz. Because he was trying to get a fight with Dominic Cruz, but... That didn't go anywhere. I honestly believe Dominic Cruz is going to end up fighting where Rob Dishwasher is really. I would say th this. If I were to give out predictions, I would say don't follow them. Because I'll get into why you wouldn't follow them later. If I were to give out predictions, I wouldn't follow them. Let's talk about Bellator now. Okay, Bellator, Hawaii, night one, Velasquez versus Carmouche. This Carmouche beats Juliana Vasquez by TKO elbows. Enrique Barzola beats Nikita by decision unanimous. Danny Sabatello beats Jonel Lugo. Grant Neal beats Christian Edwards. Manny Moro beats Nate Andrews. Okay. Danny Sabatello... I believe he, they, him and Enrique, they both qualified for the Grand Prix. They fight again June 24th, not against each other. One of them is going to fight. Danny Sabatello will fight Rojigo. And Enrique Barcelona is going to fight Magomed, Magomedov. Red Primus is also going to be on this my card. So let's get back to this fight card. So, 
I only really want to talk about the main event. It ended in some controversy, right? Because Liz had Juliana in the crucifix with about, I want to say, about between 30 to 40 seconds. Nah, maybe not even that much. Let me see. 447. So about 13 seconds in the round left. And she started throwing some elbows they weren't hard they weren't hard like they weren't hurting juliana in any way like they'll be like yo they need to stop this fight but mike beltran he stopped the fight and you could immediately tell um Joanna vasquez was not happy and then patricio he went online right afterwards and says Mike Beltran should not be allowed to ref an MMA fight anymore. Yeah, I'll read to you what he said. He said, Mike Beltran should never be allowed to referee a fight again. First, he took away my title, and now he takes away Juliana's title. He should be held accountable. What he's referring to is he was the referee in the first AJ fight, and that's where AJ choked him out. I'm going to say this. I do believe he was correct in stopping the first fight. Because Mike Beltran had to hold him up. You could see he had to hold him up. He wasn't standing on his own power. Mike Beltran was holding him up for a few seconds. At, at the same time, I was very critical of Mike Beltran's performance at the UFC Anaheim card. I don't remember the fights, but the two bad stoppages, I remember they were his. He was refing the same, he was the ref in both of those fights. I remember being very critical about those were bad stoppages. They should have been stopped way before. But we can't, we can't have it both ways, right? Like he, he stopped it early. Michael Morales versus Travis Giles was one. And then I believe the other one was Jack Delia versus Petey Rodriguez. Or it could have been Matt Frivola versus Bernardo Valdez. Because I'm only saying that. I know that Michael Morales, Travis Giles was definitely one of them because it was the first main card fight. The only other one I don't remember was if if it was... Jack Della versus Peter Rodriguez or Mike Revola versus Renato Valdez. Because those two fights ended in TKO punches. But I was very critical in that sense towards Mike Beltran. And hold on, if I could backtrack one sec. And in that And Dean Barry versus Mike Jackson, the referee DQ'd him. Again, there were multiple fouls, but it goes back again. Like, I believe he was he was right to DQ him because it was multiple fouls. But, again, it's coming to the thing. These refs, they have too much power, and sometimes I believe it should be there should be a criteria laid out. They should make them as easy it, it, as easy as possible for them. 
you can't give them that much power. You have to lay out a criteria, in my opinion. Okay, going back to Bellator. Pitbull wasn't happy with Mike Beltran's decision. If you ask me, the elbows weren't hard. But she, it didn't look like she was going to get out of there either. And, like, Liz had about 12 seconds. It could have gotten a lot worse. And people were saying there was, like, six unanswered shots. I would have let two or three hard ones go through before I called it. But that's just me. I'm not a ref. I'm not a fighter. It's easy for me to criticize when I've never been in there, right? Like, from an outsider's perspective, you can say, oh, well, you should let two, three go through. And that's it, but he knows, he's seen stuff, and he's a war veteran, so I believe he had better knowledge than the rest of us criticizing him did. And with the Pitbull thing, I believe Pitbull was out, and he did make the right decision stopping that fight. All right, let's move on to night two of... Bellator Hawaii. Chris Cyborgs beats Arlene Blanco. Rafian Stotts beats Juan Archuleta. Justine Kish beats Alima Lay McFarlane. Patchy Meigs beats Kyoji Haraguchi. Yancy Madero beats Emmanuel Sanchez. The Yancy Madero versus Emmanuel Sanchez. What a crazy fight. If you, if you weren't able to watch that fight, I highly recommend you try and find it somewhere, somehow. That was a crazy fight. And Yanti at the end of the fight took a page out of Max Holloway's book when Max fought Ricardo Lamas and pointed down to the mat to meet him in the center. What a crazy way to end that fight. Patchy Minx beats Kyoji Haraguchi. Okay, I'm gonna say this. I'm glad I didn't bet. Or I told you guys these guys were going to win. Because the two guys I thought that were going to win these opening rounds of this tournament. Lost. I'm like there's no way Kyoji Haraguchi beats. Loses to Patchy Minks. And then there's no way Juan Archuleta is going to lose to Rafion Stomp. Boy was I wrong. <laughs> if there's a little. And it's not even towards the fight. But if there's a little chrism it's towards Big John's. Commentary. Because he says that the first round between Kyoji and Patchy Minx should have been scored 10-8. I know what he's following. He's following this website command. I follow it too, but I want to see, because I read this a lot, but. I want to see what warns a 10 a round in MMA is where one fighter wins the round by a large margin. Okay, look, it says a, a score of 10 a will always be given when the judge has established that one fighter has dominated the action of the round, had duration of the domination, and also impacted their opponent with either effective strikes or effective grappling maneuvers that have diminished the ability of their opponents. Judges must consider a score of 10 when a fighter shows dominance in a round even though 
Though impactful scoring against the opponent was achieved, MMA is an offensive-based sport. No scoring is given for defensive maneuver. Usually smart tactics on defense maneuver allow the fighters to stay in the fight and for it to be competitive. Dominance of a round can be seen in striking when the losing fighter has continued to attempts to defend with no counters or reactions taken when openings present themselves. Dominance and grappling phase can be seen by fighters taking dominant positions in the fight and utilizing those positions to attempt a fight ending submission or attacks. If a fighter has little to no offense output during a 5 minute round, it should be normal for a judge to consider the losing fighter 8 points instead of 9. Judges must consider giving 10-8 when a fighter impacts their opponent significantly in a round even though they do not dominate the action. Effectiveness in striking or grappling which lead to diminishing of a fighter's energy, confidence, abilities, and spirit. All these come as a direct result of negative impact. When a fighter is hurt with strikes showing a lack of control or ability, these can be defining moments in the fight. If a judge sees that a fighter has been significantly damaged in a round, the judge should consider the score of 10-8. Okay, I understand this. My only problem with giving patchy minks, and to be fair, none of the official judges gave patchy minks 10-8, which I'm glad. Because reading that shows me, because what he's saying is, so I want to say around the 3 minute 40 mark, Patchy Minks got Kyoji's back. And like that's where they stayed for the rest of the round. But while they were standing, Kyoji was the one trying to do something. So that in itself tells me it shouldn't have been 10-8. And then Kyoji figured him out towards the end, but it was a little too late. And I honestly believe Kyoji was the best fighter in that tournament after Sergio got hurt. So here we go. So Apache Minx moves on. Juan Archuleta. And I will get to Elimilates fight next, but now that we're talking about the tournament, Juan Archuleta versus Rafian Stan. It was a good fight. Juan was winning the fight, in my opinion, and then got caught. I don't remember if Juan was diving for the legs and then got caught, kicked in the face, or if. Rafian just threw the kick and caught him and got on top of him and started landing elbows. But let me tell you something, Rafian Stomp is a bad dude, so is Juan Archuleta. These guys are bad dudes. And I'm going to tell you something, these guys can 100% compete in the UFC. 100%. Rafian Stomp only has... One loss, and guess who it's to? Rob, this watch is really... It was a crazy fight, man. And I thought, for sure, I'm like, in the end, we... Okay, I have something to tell you. You guys can't make fun of me, though. But I have something to tell you. Guys. So I was on the media call for, for the... For Bellator Night 2. Because I didn't go to the one for Night 1. So I was dealing with this situation with my wisdom tea, but I was on the I was on the conference call for night two, 
and I, for whatever reason, I thought Juan was fighting Haraguchi. And then after, like, he played it off cool because I asked him, like, yo, you cut that great promo on Haraguchi, and now you guys are going to end up fighting each other? Are you excited? He played it off cool. He said, yeah, I'm excited to fight everybody. And then I realized right after, I'm like, oh, he's fighting Rafi on stun. He's not fighting Haraguchi. So I felt whack. But hey, man, look, they both lost. They're probably going to end up fighting each other next. They should. It's a good fight. I'm definitely watching that when it happens. But yeah, I felt a little weird. So let's move on to Alima Lay McFarlane versus Justine Kish. So Alima Lay, this is her return fight since she lost to Juliana Vasquez. This is her return fight. She didn't look the same, man. I know she had a knee injury. And then there were rumors of her wanting to retire after the Juliana Vasquez fight. She didn't look the same. I don't know what happened if she wasn't training as hard. Because I didn't know that she wanted to get married and start a family. But I don't know what happened in this fight. She didn't look the same. At one point, it looked like she dropped Justine. But then on the replay, it showed it was more of a push rather than a punch. Like, you know, when you knock somebody off balance because you push them rather than a punch. So, there was that. But yeah, she didn't look the same. And then it got to a point where Justine was the one dominating the ground. Where we all thought that's where Alimale would end up winning the fight. So yeah, there's that. So I don't know. I would I would want to see what's next for Limele. Justin Kiss just beat the number one ranked girl. So we'll see what happens. I do hope Limele comes back, but again, we shall see what happens. Because she even said in the lead up to the fight that if she were to win, she was looking at Watanabe because she's gonna fight on the MVP card. Hold on, I'll see you guys right now. Denise Kiyoholt versus Watanabe. She wanted to fight the winner of this fight in her next fight if she would have won. So that in itself should say something that she didn't, like, I feel she knew training didn't go well, but she felt she could do enough to um win the fight. But that should have been, I guess you could say, a red flag. So let's move on to the main event, Chris Cyborg versus Arlene Blanco 2. I mean, what can I say? Like, I believe for Chris to be considered, as I do, the goat of all women's MMA, she's a Grand Slam champion. But I believe in order for her to prove that, she's going to have to rematch Amanda Nunez. And I don't know because of her rocky relationship with the UFC, if she's willing to go back there. Even if it's for a two-fight deal saying, like, guarantee me a fight with Amanda, if I wait if I beat her. 
let me fight her one more time, and then after that, I'll be out of your hair. I'll vacate the bell and everything. Because I believe that's the only hurdle in Chris's career. Because if the Juliana Pena fight proved anything to me, is that Chris beat herself. Because as soon as Amanda clips her, and people are going to get mad. Because this is like the 10th time I say this. As soon as Amanda clipped her, she like rushed her. But I've always said after that fight, if she just fought her on the outside for the first two rounds. And then the third round, you go in and you become berserker cyborg. You win that fight. And again, how I was on the call, I asked her, I'm like, does Amanda, um, like, do you need to fight her again in order to, they're like, it's a complete career, and she said, I'm focused on this fight, and that's all she told me. And then after the fight, she goes, well, I want the biggest fight, whether that's Kazingano, because another fascinating piece of this is, So this is what I heard. This fight was supposed to serve as her versus Kayla Harrison. But because the way I understand things, she was going to accept. This is Kayla I'm talking about now. She was going to accept the um, offer Bellator gave her. But then PFL has the right to match it so if they match it you have to go with them i believe even though it was a different thing with it no i think eddie did end up fighting for bellator a couple more times so i don't know man so so kayla's with pfl now right and then they have that whole pay-per-view series happening next year which we're going to see at the end of this year. I want to know, what's the price tag going to be on the, on the championship night? Because supposedly, now their last event that has all the titles on the night is going to be on pay-per-view. I want to know the price tag. Because if they're going to try and, and like do $50, it's not going to sell well. I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhere between $20 to $30. Then it might sell. It might, with the ESPN backing. It might. But I still don't think it's going to sell well. And I believe it's going to be like a soft launch for their quote-unquote pay-per-view series. Because, like I said last year, like, why should I, who, how are you going to make me care? So going back to Chris, the reason this is interesting is Chris had two fights left. Now I believe she has one fight left, plus that champ clause. If she ends up fighting, because she barely got injured in this fight. If she ends up fighting Katzingano, let's say September. She'll be in the champ clause by the end of the year. Let's say she can fight September slash December. And then March. Well, we're in April. She could probably fight in July. July, because I'm telling you, she barely took any damage. She could probably fight in July. Let's say she fights July, September, 
October. Let's say she fights three more times this year. You fight Keds in Ghana, then who else are you going to fight? In Bellator. Another interesting is thing is, I don't know if she, when she was with the UFC, if she was signed with Paradigm. Because we all know Paradigm Sports is, I believe, is partially owned by Conor McGregor. And I don't know if that aspect of things will make it easier for them to come to a deal with the UFC to do that two-fight deal thing. Because she said after the fight, I want the biggest fight, whether it's Kat Zingano, Amanda Nunez, or Kayla Harrison. Because they can pull off the Kayla Harrison fight with Bellator and PFL. Because they will co-promote. The UFC will not. She will have to be a free agent and then, like, those are the only two fights left for her. If she beats both those girls, there's no denying Chris Cyborg is the greatest women's MMA fighter ever. I mean, her resume alone, a Grand Slam champion, she won the Invicta belt, she won the Strike Force belt, she won the UFC belt, she won the Bellator belt. I guarantee you she'll win the PFL belt if she fights there. So, like, will this one fight determine whether or not she's the greatest? I don't I don't think we should think that way. But for the most part, most people are going to think that way. So, I don't know, man. I would like to see a rematch, Amanda, because I believe she can beat her. I can be very wrong, but I do believe she can beat her. You know what would be funny? She beats her in the second fight, and then they do a trilogy. But then the trilogy's for all the marbles, because leading up to the fight, Chris goes, win or lose, I'm not coming back to the UFC. If she wins the third fight, that'll eat the UFC alive, because they're going to know they don't have the best women in the world fighting for their organization. Because the only other way I could see, if let's say she beats Nunez in a trilogy, the only other thing option I could see happening if Pena ends up beating Nunez is they have Pena go up, or they fight at catchweight at one forty. But even there, I think Chris, because Chris, I just think Chris is better everywhere around, and then Chris signs a one fight there. If I beat her, that's it. If I beat her, that's it. I'm considered the GOAT. I don't know, man. Like, I want to call Chris Cyborg the GOAT, but a lot of people say we're snuff fighting in the UFC, so we all know how that goes. Tyson Fury um, beat Dillian White. And then after that, Tyson goes, I'm going to retire. But the interesting thing is, after he retired, Francis and Ghanu walks into the ring and they say, we're going to make the fight happen. This is from 
from Damian Martin MMA fighting. Tyson Fury has finished his professional boxing career, but that doesn't mean he's done fighting just yet. Following a stunning six-round knockout over Dillian White in front of 94,000 fans at Wembley Stadium in England, the 33-year-old heavyweight champion confirmed he has officially retired, moving to 32-0 and, oh and 1 with the win. Before I fought Deontay Wilder, I was at my house in Vegas and I said to my wife Paris, this is going to be the last fight, Fury said in the post-fight press conference. I just don't want to do it anymore. She said, yes, I'm happy. Let this be the last fight. Then after the fight, I said to her in the shower, I said, it's definitely the last fight. There's no more of this. I was happy with that decision. And I, I get a call from Frank saying, we can do a homecoming fight at Wembley. And I said to Paris, I gotta go one more time. I gotta get the old boots out again. It was a tough decision because I was happy being retired. I come back for a big, big fight at home. It's been amazing. I couldn't have topped it off. It's been a fairy tale few years. It's been absolutely more than I ever dreamed of as a kid and as an adult. I want every belt there is to win. There isn't nothing more I can do. I want every belt in the game. If this was a computer game, it would definitely be completed for sure. While he capped off his boxing career with no plans to touch his unblemished record, Fury still plans to pursue some fun fights, including a potential showdown with UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou, who joined him, who joined him in the right minute after his wins over R White. Ngannou has been calling for a fight against Fury for quite some time, and with his UFC contract expected to come to an end at the close of 2022, he might finally be available to make it happen. It's a matchup Fury wants and he's willing to meet Ngannou under special set of rules that would even the playing field for both of them. I will not rule out exhibitions, Fury said about his future. Get some of that Floyd Mayweather money. I want to have fun. I'm an entertaining. I am an entertaining. I entertain. I think it says. I I think it wants to say I am an entertainer, but they wrote I am I am an entertaining. I entertain. That's what I do best. I want to have fun. Francis Ngannou was here today. He's on my excuse me. He's on my hit list in an exhibition fight. However, he wants in a cage, in a box. However, he wants in a cage in a boxing ring. UFC gloves. We can make it happen. I think everyone wants to see it. He's a monster of a guy. I'm a monster of a guy. So it will be a clash of the Titans for sure. And then it goes on to say Francis versus Ngannou could be one of the biggest heavyweight fights in the history of combat sports. And obviously both athletes are on board. Here's my problem with it. Like if it's a boxing fight. We all know what's going to happen. Like. I already saw that movie. I don't want to see it again. Like. I understand Francis was hurting in his last fight. But we even saw it in. Like we already saw it with Cyril. Francis had to take him down to beat him. 
Like, Ciro was the better stand-up fighter in the sense of his movement and fluidity. And uh, let me tell you, it's night and day if you were to fight Francis Ngannou in a boxing fight. I understand Francis was hurt. I understand that. We have to have that caveat in there. And the article goes on to say, as far as boxing goes, Fury has no desire to keep coming back to face the next best guy, which is why he downplayed a question about holding on to his titles to possibly face the winner in the planned rematch between Anthony Joshua and Alexander Yusek. I'm happy with my decision, Fury said. I'm going home with my wife. My kids spend a lot of time on the road. I've been away a long time. I fulfilled everything I wanted to fulfill. I'm going to retire as the only second heavyweight in history after Rocky Marciano to retire undefeated. I mean, for me as a Tyson Fury fan, I want to see him as unified champion. But he did already have all of those other belts before all his mental issues surfaced and they um, they stripped him the only thing they couldn't strip him of was the lineal belt which I believe should deserve more respect than any of the physical belts because in, in order to get that one you need to be able to beat him and nobody was able to beat him so I don't know if it's a matter of money or like just I don't know, because Alexander Yusek, I just don't think these guys can hold a candle to Tyson. I remember when I became a Tyson Fury fan. He was going to fight Deontay Wilder the first fight, and I wanted Deontay Wilder to win, but I was watching the build-up, and Tyson just made me a fan that towards the end of it, I was rooting for Tyson Fury. What a crazy build-up that fight was. Arben Vittori. Hold on, let me back up. So Robert Whittaker. Robert Whittaker is out of a fight with Marvin Vittori. He was supposed to fight on the June 11th card with... That's headlined by Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prochatka. It says, former UFC champion Robert Whitaker has released a statement after being forced to withdraw from his fight with Marvin Vittori. For weeks now, fans have been looking forward towards UFC 275 with the great excitement as the promotion pre prepares to head back to Singapore from title fights to number one contender bouts and beyond. There's a lot of people feeling optimistic. One of the fights that looked particularly intriguing was the clash between Robert Whittaker and Marvin Vittori. Earlier this week, the Italian Dream hinted that Whittaker would be pulling out of their contest, although there had been no official word from the Australian himself. Unfortunately, the Reaper has now confirmed that he won't be facing Vittori on June 11th. And then there's a tweet that says, Sorry guys, due to an injury I took earlier in the camp, I am not going to be able to compete in June. I did everything I could to get it right but it's not healing in time all this means is that I'll be back in the octagon a couple months later and I'll be better than ever man that sucks and as the article goes on to say Whitaker has a history of injuries ruling him out of fights but hopefully this is the last time an incident such as this will happen I don't know 
don't know if it's that he trains too hard or if he's like hurt from the last fight and gets back to training too fast. And it goes on to say, as for Vittoria, it's not yet known what the immediate future holds for him. He still appears to be interested in competing on UFC 275 card. But as of this writing, no replacement opponent has been announced. And then, I guess, Paulo Costa wanted to fight him. Wanted to be the replacement opponent. And it goes on to say, let's see. Marvin Vittori rejects Paulo Costa's rematch call-out. UFC middleweight contender Marvin Vittori doesn't think Paulo Costa deserves a rematch following Robert Whittaker's UFC 275 withdrawal. Vittori was originally supposed to face Whittaker next following his unanimous decision win over Costa last October. However, Whittaker recently announced that he had to pull out of the fight due to an injury, which is what I just read to you guys. This prompted Costa to raise his hand and volunteer to face Vittori next after Whittaker's withdrawal. But Vittori doesn't seem too keen on the idea of facing Costa again just months after Costa's unusual fight week debacle when it came to his weight cutting issues. And then there's a tweet. They take a picture of Costa's tweet. Said, let's fight more on LOL. And then it's Marvin doing the polls with the pictures and supposedly having his shorts on backwards. It goes on to say, Vittori responded to Costa's call out for a rematch. He's trying to get a fight with me now, but he could just F off, Vittori said. You did me dirty and I F'd you up. And that's over, buddy. That's over. Get somebody else in between. Claim your spot. You're behind me. I F'd you up and I'm talking about Paulo Costa. It makes no effing sense. For me to fight this mother effer, zero cents for me, zero. Plus, I effed him up with over 20 pounds over. F this dude, F this dude. I got your money and I got the win. Get the F away from me, you know, it's over. Wow, that dude really likes the F word. And then it goes on to say, Vittorian, blah, blah, blah. And it says, as for Vittorian, the promotion still has time to find him a willing opponent for the upcoming UFC 275 pay-per-view on June 11th. If the UFC struggles to find a potential matchup, Costa may get his wish of a rematch against Vittorian. Okay. Let's, let's see. Let's see who's open. And it's because it's weird, right? Like, you got Derek Brunson, but I don't know if he's going to want to fight Derek Brunson because Derek Brunson just lost. And Sean Strickland's going to fight um, Alex Pereira. Derek Cannonier is fighting Israel Adesanya. Robert Whitaker's hurt. The only other guy that I see, and I don't know if he's ready because of that supposed England in July card. So I don't know if they're going to send them, save him for that. Or if they'll push Vittori to that card. The only other guy that I could see him fighting is Darren Till. Because they were supposed to fight. But Darren, something happened in his neck. 
So there's an option. You take Vittori off that card completely and then you put him on that England card in July and have Darren Till fight him. There, there, there's your solution, in my opinion, right? So we'll see what happens. And for the last bit of news that I got for you guys. For whatever reason, Jake Paul's been trying to find Michael Bisbing in a boxing match. It says, Bisbing ends negotiations, urges Paul to accept the offered Silva fight. Michael Bisbing is done negotiating with Jake Paul. The new batch of informal negotiations between Michael Bisbing and Jake Paul for a boxing match has apparently hit its biggest snag yet. With the count throwing his hands up and having enough of the problem child. After making Paul's hit list of potential next opponents, Bisbing expressed interest in making the bout happen. This set off a back and forth between the two, which consisted of Paul wanting Bisbing to ensure that he could actually accept a fight against him. Paul first wanted Bisbing to prove that he could get licensed for the fight despite his, despite his age and eye issues. Once the proof was provided, Paul said he would love to make the fight happen. Paul issued a series of ironic and equally bad puns while roasting Bisbing in the video below. And then it goes to say, Dear Bisbing, I challenge you to stop hosting your struggling podcast and get licensed to fight and box me. Let's see if the UFC belt and all the respect you have can help you beat me in a boxing match. Bisbing would respond by sharing a video of the Tustina Comb Combative Commission in Canada and publicly confirming that they would license Bisbing for a potential fight against the YouTuber. The former Disney star then moved on to the next hoop of the Jake Paul contract obstacle course by demanding Bisbing provide proof that he is no longer under UFC contract. <laughs> and then it goes, Bisbing, post legal confirmation that you are not under UFC contract and I will get you a contract. You retired in 2017 and Dana still got you by the balls and we fight where I tell you we fight. <laughs> And then, so Bisbing quoted the tweet and he said, Jake the Pretender Paul, first it was fight me, then show me you can get licensed. Now it's show me you're not under contract, mate. I wouldn't give you the steam off my piss. Just accept the Anderson Silva fight, which I know for a fact has been offered, Jake. Paul then retweeted a post from his management team, Most Valuable Promotion, that interpreted Bisbee's response as an admission to still be under UFC contract. The tweet also served as a rebuttal to Bisbee's invocation of Anderson Silva's name. When Bisbee admits he is still under UFC contract five years after retiring, 
Dana White controls him. Also, important reminder, Jake fans, Tommy Fury and Anderson Silva are both fighting over the next four weeks. Yeah, because Jake Paul is going to fight in August, or he hopes to fight in August. And Anderson Silva is going to fight on the undercard of the Floyd Mayweather fight. He's going to fight Bruno, Bruno Machado. And Tommy Fury just fought under on Tyson's undercard and he won, so we'll see. But that's all I got for you guys. But you know what I find funny? He's not calling out actual boxers. Like, the only actual boxer he was willing to fight was Tommy Fury. So we'll see, man. It should be interesting to see what happens. But that's all I got for you guys. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Uh, Marlon Cheeto Vera versus Rob Font. Because there's no Bellator this weekend. Bellator comes back next week. But deuces, guys. Enjoy the fights.